So Acts chapter 10, we're going to continue um, and, and uh, go ahead and uh, turn to Acts chapter 10. We're going to continue in our study in the book of Acts. Um, and we kind of shifted a few weeks ago. Uh, we shifted a few weeks ago and kind of began this journey on the road. Um, and, and really where this began initially was in Acts chapter 8 where persecution began to hit the church. And we talked about this, and you can look this up in your own time, and I pray the Holy Spirit just gives you a lot of, uh, a lot of depth there. But if we are not an Acts 1-8 church, which is the Great Commission to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, we will then be an Acts 8-1 church, which is when the Holy Spirit brought persecution to the church in Jerusalem because they had not gone to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They just stayed in Jerusalem. And so the Holy Spirit brings this persecution, which then disperses the believers Many back to their own town where they were from prior to coming to Jerusalem for Pentecost. But most fled out of fear out of Jerusalem to either friends or relatives in other parts of the region. And this is significant. This is key because we read about the very first Samaritan hearing the gospel and then responding to the gospel, believing in Christ, and the gospel takes root in Samaria. Right, so we see the, the Great Commission coming to fruition. And then, and then we read in Acts 9 about a Saul, a man named Saul, who was at the tip of the spear of the persecution of the church. And how the, the resurrected Jesus Christ intercepted him on the road to Damascus. When he was going to Damascus to arrest and to beat and to kill um, and to persecute Christians. Instead, he goes to Damascus. Um, believes in Jesus Christ, the scales fall off of his eyes, and he spends time there with the believers. What a transformation of the gospel in the heart of Saul. And now we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. And really what I want to do is I want to kind of fast forward just a little bit through uh, chapter 10 because we're going to uh, find kind of the, the, the heavier part of this morning in Acts 11. Um, before I do that, though, next, anybody know what next week is? Man, there was way too much of a delay guys. Even the guys were like, oh, shoot, is it my anniversary? You know, like we were all like, oh, no, what, what is next week? I don't, I don't remember. Uh, it's Father's Day, all right? Like, don't, li listen, listen, let me, let me just, we're going to have some fun. We're going to have our very first ever uh, Father's Day edition uh, Westlake sunglasses, okay, uh, next week. You don't want to miss that. Um, and then we're going to have breakfast tacos. No family portraits, okay, no family photos, we're not going to do anything, guys, like that. Okay, we're not going to, um, you know, make it all snappy, all right? We're just going to say thank you, and, and man, this is a way to uh, step up. And I would encourage you to lead your families to church on Father's Day um, and instead of, you know, sleeping in or, or doing something else like a pagan would, okay? <laughs> bring your family. Bring your family to worship. It's a, it's a, it's a good thing. Acts chapter 10, um, and, and the, the scene kind of shifts in Acts 9 to Peter. And we go back to now the Apostle Peter, and we see the Apostle Peter do some really crazy things like healing people from the dead, um, uh, raising, uh, raising someone from the dead. And there's amazing miracles and, and ministry and, and works going on to validate, listen, to validate the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says when the, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he's going to give you power, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so this wasn't just something that God wanted to show um, the disciples of Jesus. This is something that God wanted to show the whole world. And so what, what happens is we see these miraculous signs. We see these healings. We see these works going on. 
And there's a reason why. It's to validate the power of the Holy Spirit for the disciples. And it's to validate the truth that this gospel that's being proclaimed is from God himself. So the whole world would know. That the Jews would know that didn't believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. They would know that this is from God. And that the world would know that this is from God. And so what Luke is doing here in, in the book of Acts is he's describing what is taking place. He's going back. He didn't witness this. He's going back and interviewing and talking and, and getting uh, these accounts from those who were there, from those who witnessed it. And so he's writing this down as a description of what took place. So we see these things happening in the life of Peter in Acts 9. We go to Acts chapter 10. And in Caesarea, um, we get a little bit of, of a, a precursor of a Roman army officer named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius is going to be very specific and instrumental in the New Testament church, not because he becomes a great missionary. Um, it, it, it is only strictly because he has a very strange name. Okay, that's it. I'm just kidding. Anybody, anybody here have any, know anybody named Cornelius? Right, anybody? Not, right, like it's just an odd name, but he has significance in the New Testament become, because he's going to be the first Gentile. He's going to be the first Gentile that receives the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have Jews, we have Samaritans, which are kind of like a half-breed, if you will, for lack of a better term, of Jews and, and Gentiles. And then we have Gentiles, everybody that's not in any way, shape, or form a Jew. Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Every single person in this room should have their hand up, okay, unless you have some percentage of Jew in you. Um, we are all beneficiaries of the fact that the gospel left Jerusalem. Amen? So, so when we look at church history, when we look at um, what took place in the New Testament, we don't just want to read it and say, like, well, that has no effect on me. Well, what, what difference does this make cool, you know, Cameron, I, I, I didn't come to history class. I came to church. Like, give, me, give me something that, that helps me, um, you know, love God and helps me realize who God is. That the power of the gospel has now spread to the Gentiles. And this is incredibly significant. So Cornelius, we kind of see him introduced in chapter 10. And then I want to go down, and there's a, the part where Peter is up on the roof, and he's up on the roof of his house, and he's praying. And he's spending some time. It's about noon is what the scriptures say. It's about noon. And so, again, um, how do we know that, that scripture is the truth? I mean, why would Luke record that from Peter if it wasn't actually what happened? So Peter's like, hey, I was up on this house. I was praying. And it was about noon. And let me tell you what happened. Um, the, I, had the, I, don't, I had this vision. Um, and I don't really know if it was like I was there or the vision was here with me. I don't really know that, which is kind of a synonymous thing we see happen um, with some apostles and, and being um, uh, seeing visions, whether it's the Apostle Paul um, or it's the Apostle John. Um, we, we see kind of this correlation. I don't really know if I was there in heaven with God. I don't know if God like showed me something here while I was still here on earth. We don't, I don't really know. It was kind of like this weird in-between state, but I was on, my, uh, on the roof. I was praying, and I saw this vision, and the vision was the sheet lowered down from heaven, and some of you are like, oh, I've heard of this. This sheet lowered down from heaven, and there were all kinds of animals in the sheet. Now, what was significant about the animals in the sheet is, is that all of the animals in the sheet were animals that the Jews considered unclean. And does anybody know why the Jews considered these animals unclean? Anybody? Because God had told them that they were what? Unclean, right? 
So we're going to get to this paradox that Peter gets in here in a second. Um, but, uh, and I call this, this is the first pig in a blanket, uh, is what I call it. <laughs> so they, they lower down in a sheet, and uh, you, I know you guys are going to use that this week. Don't even lie. It's fine. You can use it. Just give me credit for it, okay? And so they come down, uh, they lower it down, and this vision happens with Peter three times. And all three times, God tells Peter, eat. I want you to, to, to see these clean animals, and they are fine and okay and perfectly good for you to eat. Now, consider this, 1,400 years of cultural history, their religion, guys, it was their duty to God to treat these animals as if they were unclean. And this vision happens and, and, and occurs to Peter three different times. And Peter says, okay, God, no, no. Peter says, no, no way. And so God started to take off his belt and was coming down to Peter. No. So God says, what I have made clean, don't call it unclean. So what God is telling Peter is, listen, I know, I know this difficulty that you're having. 1,400 years of, of uh, a religion and practice and duty and culture that now seemingly I'm just flipping over. But if God is the one who creates, then guess who gets to make the rules? God. So God is now saying this is clean, although it was previously unclean to set you apart. Check this out. Now what sets you apart is not the animals that consume you from the outside in. It is from the heart that the Holy Spirit transforms from the inside out. That's what sets you apart now as my people. And so what we want to see here is that the gospel is a gospel that is a, um, a gospel of inclusion. And what do I mean by that? Because at the same time that Peter is having this vision, Cornelius, who is a Gentile in Caesarea, I've been there, Caesarea by the sea. If you've been to Israel, we've been there before. Um, I think I'm going to go back like January of 25. If you want to go and you haven't been, I, it's a bucket list trip. You've got to go to Israel. Okay, We go to Caesarea by the sea. It's this amazing setting right on the Mediterranean. It's just one of the you know, million places we go. And you're just like, ah! I can't believe I'm here. And then you do that like four times, five times a day, like five days. And at the end, you're like, I have no emotional capacity. But that doesn't matter. So Cornelius is Caesarea by the sea. Peter is having uh, this, this vision to him by God. Cornelius sends uh, messengers to go get Peter. Because God tells Cornelius, you need to go get this man named Peter. So the messengers come, they knock on the door. God tells Peter, don't worry, those guys that are here, they're looking for you. Go with them because I've sent them actually here to find you. So Peter goes, and then they go to Cornelius' house. Look at what happens in verse 19. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, 1,400 years, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without any hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them to you. And then it clicks with Peter. It clicks. There's a reason, God, why you have given, giving, given me this vision of what was previously unclean, now clean, and you've sent messengers from this random, seemingly random, Gentile officer named Cornelius to come and get me so that I would go back to Cornelius. And it clicks with Peter. Like, God, you're, you're opening the door of salvation to the Gentiles. Now, now, Peter, again, he's still kind of struggling with this, and he says, verse 34, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts who fear him and do what is right. 
And so this happens, this transformation happens inside of Peter's heart. Now, he didn't get there graciously. He didn't get there smoothly. He didn't get there um, even like quickly. This was all happening in real time. But we see Cornelius, who found favor with God because of his offerings and the way that he treated people. You can read about his life um, in, in Acts 10. You can read about um, what pleased the heart of God through the life of Cornelius. Even though he had no truth about the gospel, he didn't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he hadn't been taught who Jesus Christ is. He had no way to respond to that, but yet he was living a life that honored God. And then we see Peter, who clearly walked with Jesus. And, and we can go back and see you know, testimony after testimony of Peter's faith growing in the Gospels, in his belief of who Jesus Christ is, him responding to the Holy Spirit to then go to see Cornelius in Caesarea. We see multiple ways that the Holy Spirit is at work, and we see multiple ways um, where people surrender their lives and submit themselves to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And then what comes out of that? What comes out of that? The amazing part that comes out of just submitting our lives to the Holy Spirit is that then the Holy Spirit works and he moves and he uses us to further the kingdom of God. What happens is that Peter goes into the house of Cornelius and, and again, like I said, he doesn't, he doesn't come to this conclusion of what God is doing in the, in the proclaiming of the gospel to the Gentiles. He doesn't come to that very quickly or easily or smoothly because when he walks into Cornelius' house, you can read about this, in, in Acts 10, he walks in and he says, you know, not that long ago, I would have never even come into a house like this. I would have never talked to a person like you. I would have, I would have never associated with you because you're unclean. I don't know if you've ever had a guest in your house walk into your house and say those words to you. Um, but this is exactly what Peter says to Cornelius, and he's probably like Michael Scott. Anybody watch The Office? Yeah. All right. And Michael Scott, you know, he's like, oh, bro, I'm killing it. Oh, this is awesome. I'm killing it. And everyone is like, please stop. What are you doing? Stop. Right? This is probably Peter right here in this moment. He's like, man, I'm just going to share my heart. I'm just going to be vulnerable. Cornelius, I just want to let you know, I would never even talk to you. I would, I would never even be in your house because you're unclean. And everyone around him is like, Peter, what? What are you doing? You know, you are butchering this. And yet Cornelius and his household believe in Jesus Christ. And he is the first Gentile to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in spite of Peter's, like, worst attempts, okay? What does this tell me? What should it tell you is it tells me that submission to the Holy Spirit is way more important than any gifts, talents, or abilities we think, like, we think we're bringing to the table. When we submit our lives to the Holy Spirit, you know what happens? The results are up to him. That's it. I've heard the greatest um, way that, that I've ever heard it, uh, uh, the, the proclamation of the gospel, um, is that we, we want to be the ones responsible for their response. Like we want to be the ones who say, I'm sharing this with you so that then I can see a response in you. When really we need to be like the postal service. If you're like, oh, Cameron, this is a terrible illustration. Clearly you don't get mail um, from the postal service. Let me ask you, uh, or, or um, Amazon or UPS or FedEx or the postal service, 
are they responsible for your response in the package, or are they responsible for getting you the package? This is not a trick question. I know many of you know the answer. Some of you might be afraid to answer because you're like, maybe it is a trick question. It's not a trick question. Amazon, FedEx, Postal Service, uh, you know, UPS, their only responsibility, and some of you are like, well, that's debatable. Their only responsibility is to get you the package, to deliver it. That's it. How you respond to it, what you do with that package, what you do with that order or that gift is completely up to you. That is not their responsibility. I wish, I wish we would see ourselves as the, uh, the church. I wish the church would see ourselves as carriers and submit our lives to the Holy Spirit. Go where he tells us to go. These are your marching orders. You're in control. I'm not. I surrender my life to you. I'm going to go where you tell me to go, and I'm going to do what you tell me to do, and then I'm going to leave the results up to you. That's what we see over and over and over again in the book of Acts, and it's what we see over and over and over again in the New Testament. It's what we see over and over and over again in the history of the church, and it should be what we can testify to over and over and over again in our own lives. It should be no different. It should be no different. We should have markers in our life where we have surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And we would have said, I don't necessarily understand. This is not what I would have chosen. Um, I don't necessarily see the benefit of this. But yet we surrender to him anyway. And we leave the results up to him. Trusting and believing and knowing that the Holy Spirit is going to lead us into truth. And we can believe and know that God, even if we don't understand his ways, has the best way. And there should be testimonies in our lives where this has happened. There should be testimonies, even if it's just, even if it was 10 years ago. And if there's not a testimony, if you can't think back into, in, into, your, into your life and, and see where, okay, yeah, no, I trusted. I surrendered. I died to my way. It might have taken uh, a lot of, you know, um, bumps and bruises and pitfalls and some pride and ego had to die, but I surrendered. If you can't see that or testify to that, then it could mean, it could mean that there has yet been a time in your life where you've actually surrendered to the Lord and where you have surrendered your life, where you've said, you are Lord and I am not. And maybe, maybe for you, that is that confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. All, all of your life up to this moment, you have been living as if you are Lord, where you know best. You make the plans, you set the course, and you determine your steps. And maybe for today, for you, maybe today the, the confession or the marker is that, no, Jesus Christ is Lord. He knows best. He determines my steps. My role, my job is to surrender and to obey. My hope is that we would be a church full, just like with these students, these sponsors. As uh, Justin was up here sharing earlier, as Lou shared. Man, I want you to think about that just today, guys. Think about this just today. Just in, in the last hour, here's what we've seen. We've seen testimonies from men and women and students about God's goodness and their willingness to surrender in his lives. 
This is amazing. This is God at work. And my question is, is he working in the same way? Is he at work in your life? And if not, what, what is the holdup? What's the hurdle? And if we see anything about the New Testament, it is not because the Holy Spirit is silent. It's not because the Holy Spirit is not doing his role or his job. It is strictly because we, as people, we stand defiant against the Spirit of God and we say, I want to do my own way. I want to do my own thing. And if there is not a testimony in you where you have surrendered your life obeyed God, and trusted him with the results, then I would argue that you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And if that hasn't happened, great. guess what? Today is the day of salvation. You don't, the best part, you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to clean yourself up to take a shower. You don't have to get well to go to the doctor. You don't have to make your life perfect to come to Jesus. Amen? That's the power of the gospel. And we come open and surrendered to him. And when we do, this is what happens in our life. Peter preaches a sermon in the house of Cornelius because a bunch of people gather. Um, and, and, he, and he preaches a sermon. And I want you to see some of these key words um, in, your own, in your own Bible, uh, in your own uh, Bible app or whatever. of chapter 11, um, Peter, Peter says this. Sorry, in chapter 10, verse 36, chapter 10, um, he, he preaches this, that, that God is going to redeem all. It's clicking in Peter's head. It's not just for the Jews. It's not even just for the Samaritans. It's also for the Gentiles in the world. And in verse 36, Peter says, Jesus is Lord of all. Verse 38, Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devils. Uh, all oppressed by the devil, meaning this Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, tax collectors, Roman soldiers, prostitutes. There was not a single person, even uh, many of the religious leaders came to faith in Jesus, and he met with Nicodemus at night. Multiple, I mean, these, these, this is the heart of God. All. God loves all. He gave his son for the world so that all would believe, so that none would perish. This is the heart of God. And we see it in the flesh. We see it happening in real life here in the book of Acts. Peter begins to preach this gospel because it's taken root in Peter's heart. No one's had to coax him into saying this. He's realizing the work and the heart of God, and he wants to be a part of it. And so what does he, he preach? Jesus is the Lord of all. He went on doing good healing all. In verse 32, Jesus is the judge of all. Verse 43, everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven. There is no exclusion to the gospel. There is no exclusion to the work and the power of God. There is no exclusion to God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so maybe you're not hearing this, but here's what Peter is saying. And what I want to emphasize is that there is nothing that you or I can do. There is no one that you or I can be. There is nowhere that you and I can live that the power of the gospel is not at work. There is nothing that we can do to separate, our, separate us from the love of God. That the gospel is constantly pursuing us. And how, how is the gospel constantly pursuing us? The work of the Holy Spirit and the obedience of his church. That's it. That's God's plan. That's the only thing demonstrated to us in the book of Acts. The power and work of the Holy Spirit and the obedience 
of his church. So I'll come back around to the same question. Are you being obedient as Jesus' church? I can't answer that for you, and I don't know maybe the specific question to ask you about the obedience that he's calling you to, but I can ask you and challenge you with this. Are you being obedient? Have you stepped in faith where God is calling you to go? Have you surrendered in faith what God is calling you to surrender? Have you obeyed God where he has said, pick up and go, or drop it and leave it alone and don't turn back? Have you obeyed? And if you haven't obeyed, then your response today through the power of the Holy Spirit is to open your hands, to open your heart and say, it's your life, not mine. I'll obey. I'll go. This is the call on every single life of a follower of Jesus. And then this happens in verse 44. This is the key part right here. Even as Peter was saying all these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon whom? All who were listening to the message. I love this. I love this. Because it's simple. How many of you think about the Holy Spirit and you think about the work and the power of, of salvation in Jesus Christ, and you think, man, it's so simple. No, what, 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 if, if we did think about that, we'd probably share it more often, I think. We'd probably share that with our coworkers or our neighbors or friends. I think we would share it more, more often if we thought of it as simple, but we don't. We think about it as very complex, and we, we psych ourselves out, and the, the enemy tempts us to believe that this is much bigger than you, There's no way you can explain this. There's no way you can talk about this with any type of authority or power, which is the opposite of what Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit produces in us, right? The Holy Spirit, when he comes upon you, he's going to give you what? Power. To do what? To be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And the enemy literally tempts us with the exact opposite of that. You have no power. You have no authority. You're going to embarrass yourself. You don't even know what you're talking about. What if they ask you a question you don't know? okay, okay, I'm so scared. Come on, really? Half, half of you guys share facts you know nothing about, right? <laughs> like when someone argues, like when someone argues that the Astros are the best team in baseball right now. I mean, it's fact. It's just reality, right? I wasn't going to go there. You, you knew it was coming. Alex knew it was coming. I text him almost every day with the update of how many games they're behind the Rangers. Um, <laughs> it's five right now, if you're wondering. Um, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, July 26th, we're going to go as a church. Uh, we're going to go to Astros Ranger games. Um, if you want to come with us, I think we're going to have tickets. Casey's, Casey's selling them. Um, here's the best part about what happened here in Acts 10. They believed They believed in the gospel, and what happened? The Holy Spirit fell. Think about that. They believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They believed what Peter was saying. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now, for some of you, and we have to talk about this almost every week in the book of Acts because the work of the Holy Spirit is constant through the book of Acts. And depending on your faith background, man, you're ready. You're like, woo. I'm getting ready. The work of the Holy Power of the Holy Spirit, you know, like, you know, you're just getting ready. Okay, calm down. All right. For some of you, you're getting really nervous. You're like, is he about to bring a chicken out here? 
Like, what's going on? Are we, this is about to get crazy. You keep on talking about the Holy Spirit and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you, if you've ever read the New Testament, do you ever get the vibe that the work and the power of the Holy Spirit or the demonstration of his work and power is weird? Never. Jesus tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon them to comfort them, not to freak them out. The power of the Holy Spirit, he is our comforter. He is our counselor. And he is our power and authority as disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's the words of Jesus. If you have an issue with that, you don't have an issue with me, you've got an issue with the Messiah. You are more than willing to take that up with him. If the, if the presence or the mention of the power of the Holy Spirit freaks you out, there is something that the enemy has led you and tempted you to believe in a lie about God, and you are believing it. To believe in the power and the work and the authority of the Holy Spirit does not mean you have to be a whack job. It means that you know Scripture and you trust in who God is. And so the Holy Spirit comes upon those who believe. It doesn't mention that they had an altar call. It doesn't mention that they prayed a prayer. It doesn't mention that they did the right dance or said the right thing or drank the right potion. It just says they believed, and because they believed, the Holy Spirit came. Here's what's crazy. He does that all the time. He's even doing that right now. He's doing that right now. I know for some of us here today, what we need more than a better job or more income, what we need, you know, uh, more obedient children, what we need today more than anything is the power and authority of the Holy Spirit in our life. And if we will open up our lives, if we will surrender to him, guess what? He will come. It's that simple. We don't need a song and dance. We don't need to make it a big show. We need to surrender our hearts and lives to him. And when we do, just like here in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes. In Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, we, we, we move on. Peter gets some, some hate from some Jews when he comes back about him um, associating with Gentiles. And he puts them in their place. And he, and he tells them what had happened. And he tells them in this way, as soon as the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God, um, the Gentiles had received the word of God, but when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles? Remember what Peter said when he got to Cornelius' house? You know, pulled the Michael Scott. He's like, bro, so bad. You entered the home of Gentiles? And then they said, you even ate with them? Then Peter told them exactly what happened. He went back to the dream, picking a blanket. He, uh, the Corne Cornelius, his messengers, uh, following them to Caesarea. Um, you know, he probably was so proud of the way he talked to Cornelius when he got into his house, even though, he, you know, that was terrible. Um, he, he went back and told these Jews everything that happened in order. And look at what he says at the, uh, in verse 15 of chapter 11. He says, I began, as I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Just as he fell on us at the beginning. You see, Peter is connecting the dots. There is no favoritism in the kingdom of God. There is just lost and found. That's it. Lost and found. 
And he's connecting the dots in his own heart, in his own life, overcoming his own prejudice, maybe even his own racism. He's coming over that, and he's speaking with authority. And he says, just, um, just like the Holy Spirit fell on us, he fell on them. Verse 16. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Check this out. This might be what you need to write down. This might be the transformation that needs to take place in your own heart and in your own life today. Look at what Peter says. Who was I to stand in God's way? The Holy Spirit fell. It wasn't my preference. It wasn't my desire. It wasn't even the way that I would like it to happen. But the Holy Spirit fell. And what did Peter say? I mean, who am I? Who am I to determine God's heart and plan? My job, my job is to be obedient. I'm the messenger in charge of delivering the message. That's it. And when I respond, when I obey, the the power of the Holy Spirit works and moves. Peter saying, who am I to stand in the way of God's work. God's purpose in salvation. Let me help us see this. God's purpose in salvation is to unify what sin has broken. God's plan and purpose in salvation is to unify what sin has broken. And I'm going to break this down in a couple of ways. First, this happens in our own heart and life. Think about this in your own heart, in your own life. How has the gospel unified what sin has broken? Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, our hearts, our lives, our souls, right? Um, uh, The Holy Spirit is a seal for us. He is not just the power. Um, He is not uh, just our authority and comforter. He is also a seal, just like a cattle would have a brand on them to determine who, which cattle belonged to which rancher or which farmer. Um, the same way the Holy Spirit is a seal for those who, of us who are gods. The Holy Spirit is a uh, deposit on a promise that is going to be fulfilled when Christ comes back. And so we have the Holy Spirit, and what the Holy Spirit does is that He doesn't just unify us with God, But now he works in us and through us as ambassadors of God. I mean, that's the coolest part about being the church. Oftentimes we think of the church with a spectator's mentality. And the church is something that we go to. It's not who I am. And all throughout the gospel, I mean, all throughout the book of Acts, all throughout the New Testament church, And all throughout church history, this has been a problem with God's people. Which is why the power and authority of the Holy Spirit is so key in our lives. Because we don't just go to church, we are the church. We don't come to church to be a spectator. We are the church that brings life to this fellowship that we call Westlake Church. 
Which is why we can have men and women singing and playing and sharing and speaking and making videos and greeting and loving on babies and opening doors and getting here early to set up and staying late to tear down. This is the demonstration, if we're just talking specifically what happens here in this facility, that's, that's the church. And it's not because we are doing that out of the goodness of our own heart and life. It is because of the power of the Holy Spirit that has unified us with the heart of God. And, and, and that unification says this, it's not about me. Who am I? Who am I to stand in the way of what God is doing? It might not be my preference. It might not be what I like. But I want to empty myself for the good of others and the glory of God. I want to, I want to give my time. I want to give my talent. I want to give my resources and my treasure. I want to give so that this church can continue to do the ministry that I know needs to be done here. And I want to be a part of that as God calls me to be obedient. Because I can only give what God has given me. I can only obey what God has called me to do. Do you understand this? We don't have to carry a burden that God has not given us. But what we do is we accomplish the mission that God has called us to. And we respond when he calls us to him. So this division that sin has caused in our own heart and our own life is unified through Jesus Christ. Our rebellion towards God is now redeemed in the salvation of Jesus Christ like Saul. God can take our life and he can take our life that's centered on ourselves and transform it into a life of surrender. Our conflict and division with others is unified in the salvation of Jesus Christ. Relational conflict, political conflict, racial conflict. When we submit ourselves to Jesus, guess what falls by the wayside? Division. When we submit ourselves to Jesus, here's our goal. Unity. And it doesn't mean that we throw out truth. It doesn't mean that we, that we throw out what God's word says should be truth. But the number one goal that the gospel of Jesus Christ has is for all. Came from God's heart when he sent Jesus to earth. It came from the mouth of Jesus. It was lived out in the actions of Jesus. And now the disciples of Jesus are being prompted and called to the same mission by the power of the Holy Spirit that God's heart is for all. Are you willing to respond and obey? Are you willing to follow God? Are you willing to accomplish the mission that he has given us as his church? And the question that we have to answer for ourselves is that's either a yes or a no. That's it. I don't know about your household. Sometimes in my household, when I was growing up, I would get told that delayed obedience is what? Disobedience. All right, somebody would be like, ooh, that's good. I'm going to write that down. We're going to have a little family dinner tonight, all right? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Um, not making a decision. Indecision is what? It's a decision. Not making a choice is still making a choice. We have obedience or disobedience. That's it. 
We can walk with God faithfully or we are rebelling against God in ourselves. There is no other way. I want to I ask you this question. What if Peter, what if Peter was so freaked out by the pigs in a blanket? What if Peter was so freaked out by, by the prompting of the Holy Spirit that when those messengers from Cornelius' house in Caesarea came to him, what if, what if he said no? I tried my best to, to communicate the significance and importance of what transpired with Peter and Cornelius. What would have happened? What do you think the impact, what are the effects if Peter was unwilling to obey, to go to Caesarea, to share the truth of the gospel with a Gentile? I mean, a, a Roman official at that, an officer. What if Peter, what if Peter said no? Or in a minute? Give me a week. That's not a good time, Lord. <laughs> I mean, I gotta clean up my garage. Uh, my closet's a mess. Like, what if he had said no? And I think about that in my life. And not to go super spiritual, not to, you know, do something weird, but have there been times in my life where I said no and kept the work of God from moving forward? I know you can argue that in both ways. That's not possible. But what if Peter would have said no? Maybe God found, you know, God found another way. Maybe he just transports Peter, puts him in Caesarea, you know, like, I don't know. But I do know this. It was Peter's choice, just like it was Cornelius' choice to obey God and send his messengers. It was Peter's choice to respond and go, and it was Peter's choice to preach the gospel, and it was Peter's choice to respond with authority and power, even imperfect or jack, you know, kind of bumpy and messed up as it was, to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And because of that, and because of that, Gentiles believed and they heard the gospel for the very first time. Do you know any Gentiles in your life? Do you know any Gentiles? Not like literal Gentiles. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm a Gentile. I'm like, do you know, like, do you know Gentiles? Where their whole, their whole sphere in no way, shape, or form is affected by the kingdom of God or the things of God or the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you, do you know anybody like that? That the Holy Spirit maybe is prompting you and telling you and calling you not to be responsible for their response, but to be responsible to deliver the message. I've got to imagine in a room this size that there are some people that we know that are Gentiles. And I would also imagine in a room this size there are some of us, maybe, maybe many of us, most of us, that have yet to respond and obey. So I'm, I'm asking you, just like I'm wanting that in my own life, will we be a church full of men and women and students that when the Holy Spirit asks, when he, when he comes and when he calls us, are we going to be a church that is full of, hang on in just a minute, I don't know, let me sure, I, I mean, it's not good, 
Or are we going to be a church full of men, women, and students that when the Holy Spirit comes and when he asks and when he calls that we respond and we say yes and I'll go? I, I, I can only be responsible for myself. Pastor David can only be responsible for himself. Lou can only be responsible for himself. Edgar can only be responsible for himself. But for us, as elders and pastors, what we want to do is we want to fan the flame that God has in you so that there might be a willingness to respond in a way that is obedient to the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, guys, when we do that, I want you to hear this. When we do that, there is power that transforms lives. I'm not making this up. We see it written in in the book of Acts. We see it throughout the New Testament church. Many of you have testimonies of where this is true in your own life. When we respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit, power and authority follows. Transformation follows. Miracles, things that we thought there was no way they could happen, happen. Why? Because of us? No. Because of the Holy Spirit. But there is a significance of us as his church obeying. And the question is, are you going to obey? Will you obey? So I want to close this quick time of prayer. That maybe for us, we can sit here in these chairs and um, we can, with the bold heart, with the confident heart, know that not only do we believe in Jesus Christ, but that he is Lord and Messiah. I know that there are some, many of you that can sit in your chair today and proclaim that truth. And so this time, this time of response is not for you, is Jesus Christ Lord and Messiah. This time of response for you might be, Jesus, have, am I obeying? Have I obeyed you fully, completely? Are there areas of my life that I'm holding back from you? Am I unwilling to go when you said to go? Am I, am I not willing to give when you say give? And I do know that there are some here this morning that the power and the work and the authority of the Holy Spirit seems so foreign to us because there has yet been a time in our life where we have surrendered our lives, confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah, and laid down ourselves at the foot of the cross. And just like we see happen here in Cornelius' house, and just like Peter testifies to the Jews back in Jerusalem, it is upon that belief that Jesus Christ is Lord and Messiah. But not only are you saved, but you receive the gift and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. And so in this time, maybe for you, with your hands open, with your heart open, with your life available, you would say, Jesus Christ, I believe that you are Lord and Messiah. I know that it's my sin 
that separates me from you. And I know that it is your sacrifice on the cross that atones, that pays for my sin. I believe that you rose from the dead three days later. And in your resurrection, have given me a promise, a hope of a resurrection. I follow you as my Lord and my Savior. And it is in your name that I believe. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the time that we have as a church family to worship, to celebrate, to to hear the testimonies of how you are at work, where you are working. And so, God, we thank you. We thank you for the power. We thank you for for the gift that you have given us as a church family. We thank you for the way, uh, God, that you use flawed, oftentimes selfish men and women We care about ourselves. We care about our own agenda. We care about what we want. We care about how we feel. Um, And the precedence of our life is dominated by what we want and how we feel and when we want it. And so, God, thank you that even in your patience and your grace and your mercy, you use us through the power and authority of your Holy Spirit. Would you help us respond like Peter? to go to a place that we don't know where we're going, to go to a place where we feel uncomfortable, to go to a place maybe even for us that has felt wrong, but yet we know by the power and authority of the Holy Spirit it's where we're supposed to go because you are there with us. Would you help us respond in obedience? And for some of us like Cornelius, would you help us receive the gift that you have given us in your Holy Spirit through belief and confession and faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.